So uh, let me ask you to join me in James chapter 5, book of James, and uh, today's sermon is called The Grace of Patience, The Grace of Patience. Let me read to you the text first. Remember the, uh, the text, the heading of this section is called Patience in Suffering. So the Christians there are suffering because they were oppressed and abused by the wicked rich, as we looked at it last week, uh, of this group of uh, wealthy people. They abuse their power. They don't pay their wages to the poor people. And uh, so these people are under suffering. So this is the context of how do we respond during this kind of situation that we are under. And we are suffering in some way, you know, in our lives, in our own lives. Uh, I believe in our own life because we yield for perfection in our lives and therefore there's no perfection and therefore we, we suffer in many sense uh, because things just not the way we want it to be. Uh, and therefore we need to know how to handle in terms like this and how to be patient. So let me just read to you... Uh, Chapter 5, verse 7 to uh, 12. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. You have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Or you, all you need to say is a simple yes or no. Or some versions say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. In this uh, text here, there are three pictures that James gives to us. Some of us here are picture persons. You know, we visualize better with pictures. Some of us visualize better with words. My wife is a picture person. She always recognizes place by landmark. You see this landmark, you turn left. When you see this landmark, you almost arrive. For me, I don't look at landmark. I look at street's name. <laughs> you have to tell me you must go to this street, and after this street, you turn left. You know, so we are all wired differently in some sense. But James. In many sense, he's both a word and word, word and picture per people. You know, and we are all in some sense. And so here in the book of James, towards the end, he gave us three pictures. He gives us three pictures of what patience endurance look like. He tells us farmer, and then he also mentioned about the prophets, and then lastly he gave the character of Job. So I'm going to use these uh, three pictures. And each picture, I will tell you what, from the, 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 the illustration and the example, from each picture, I'll give you one meaning of what patience means, and then what it does not mean. So one positive and one negative. So three pictures, farmer, prophet, and job. And then towards the end, I'll finish it up with a spoiler. Something can blow it up. Something in this passage tell us that you will blow out this thing, patient endurance that you may, you may have. But uh, this thing, you have to watch out for it. Okay? So let me begin with uh, farmer. What patient endurance look like? And James gave us the example of a farmer. He said, he said be patient until the Lord's coming. Be patient. The Lord's coming is near. Of course, it's already 2,000 years. In the Bible, when you read the word last days in the Bible, the word last days doesn't mean to say the end of the world. Last days meaning to say when Christ 
came until he returned. That period of time is known as last days in the Bible. Last days. Just as some of the places you go to sales, you know, last days, you know. People thought it's really last day, but it's days. So last days in the Bible refer to this period of Christ come and then return of Christ. This period for 2000 is called last days. And Christ's coming is, we do not know when. The Bible tells us that he will return. He did not tell us the, the date that he will return, although he does give us in Matthew 24 signs that we can look out for of his coming. Some general signs and some uh, in certain theological persuasion, they believe in certain specific sign. When we see it, uh, then Christ is about to return and one of those people who, who, who have that kind of persuasion they'll believe that when the third temple in Jerusalem is built uh, then the uh, coming is near the first temple was built by King Solomon and it was destroyed by the Babylonians the second temple was built by King Herod and destroyed by the Romans and the third temple is yet to be built you don't need the third temple because Christ already here so it, it, it blends in beautifully in the same way Christ come you don't need the temple no need sacrifices no need to offer anymore because Christ is here uh, but those people with certain specific theological persuasion they believe the specific signs of Christ's coming is the third temple is being built uh, where we do not know probably at the doom of the rock uh, we don't know but Christ did tell us that he will return but we do not know when and I think there is a purpose in that because when we do not know when Christ will return then we will be always get ready we are always ready in a sense because you don't know when he's returned if he tells you that he's come back two months time you can relax you know and do whatever you want and then and it's just like you know certain parents not around, you know, coming back in one month's time, you know, just the day before you clean the house and make it clean, you know, you're not ready in a sense, and so there's the purpose that Christ coming that we do not know, is that we all will be ready at time, just like in the army I was in the army for two and a, two years and we, there's a certain period, it's called standby and right throughout the two weeks of standby, you dress in your full gear, and just lying in bed, and you know, doing nothing, just waiting for them to say, hey activate, and everybody will run down and get your gun and rifle and all that ready. But you always have to be ready in a sense. So there's a purpose in that. So here he said, be patient because the Lord will come in the future. And so here he, he gives us one point. The first point I want to give to you. So let me read for you. Be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Some versions call earlier and later rains. Because in, the, in, in, in Palestine, they kind of, these two seasons rain the most. One is to germinate the seed. The second time is, is the harvest. So the, in between, the farmer has to wait. You choose. Be, be patient. Stand firm or establish your heart because the Lord's coming is near. So the first point I want to give to you using the analogy of farmer is that patience means trusting God with the things you cannot control. Trusting God with the things you cannot control or the people you cannot control. Specifically in this text, it's referring to people, uh, not so much on circumstances. There's a different word that are being used. It's referring to people. We cannot control many things in life. We cannot control people. There's no way you can control people. You can legislate as much as you want. You can control people's external behavior as much as you want with law. But unless the person's heart is transformed, when they're out of the environment, the real person will come out. The real person will come out. And so we cannot control people. As much as you try your best, you cannot. You can't even change anyone. So husband and wife, you don't have to try to change everyone. You can't. The fact of the matter is you can't. They only get into more fights and all that. You, you, sometimes we can't even change ourselves, let alone change others. And that is within our community. Therefore, we need divine power to come in and, and transform us from within. We need divine help. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to work in people's lives. And so our duty is to pray. Our duty is always to pray, to go on your knees and pray for 
people, pray for things. So here, James is saying, patient means trusting God with the things you cannot control. He said, be patient. The farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient until the harvest. The farmer has to wait. He can't possibly make the rain come down in his timing. He can't possibly make the seed, force the seed to grow into a plant. Many parents would love to put our son or our daughter into microwave and then speed up to 25 years or something like that. Zoom, 30 seconds, bang, you come up to 25 years old. We can't do that. We have to just go through this process of life. We need to go through this process, isn't it? And, uh, and, 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 and you don't expect, if your son is 15 years old, you don't expect him to behave like 35. They are just 15 years old. You just have to be patient. So here you say, Bible said, trusting God with the things you cannot control. Like the farmer, he has no control over the rain. He has no control over it. So we must stop trying to control things that we were never meant to control. So waiting, some of us waiting to be out of financial struggle, waiting for a baby, waiting for a partner, waiting for illness to go away, waiting for a safe place that we could live, waiting for a home, waiting where the sin is no more, waiting, 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 difficult, especially when there's suffering. In the context of James, they were suffering. These people were under oppression. They were, they were really suffering. And here James said, well, you have to be patient. To be rooted, they say patience is good, waiting is good, because to be rooted is perhaps the most important and least recognized need of the human soul, to be rooted. And it's only through waiting, through patience, that we go deep, deep. We soak it in, soak in the goodness of God, and let it seep in and become better. Simone Well, a Jewish writer, said, Waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life. Waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life. To wait patiently for something that God will break in is the foundation of spiritual life. If you read through the gospel, even before Christ came, do you know how many people waited for Christ to come? The story of Jesus' birth introduces us five people waiting for Christ to come. Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, Simeon, Anna, you read that. They're all waiting and waiting and waiting for Christ to come. And so patience means trusting God with the things you cannot control. We have to acknowledge that there are many things in life, many people we cannot control. We have no control. Even though you may have the position, you may have the power, still you cannot control many, many things in life. Secondly, the negative side of it, I'll tell you what patient is under the, word, uh, the, the picture farmer. Patient does not mean you do nothing. Waiting patient doesn't, patient endurance doesn't mean you, all right, I can't do anything anyway. I have no control over people. I have no control over situation. Therefore, I don't have to do anything. I just fold up my arms and be indifferent about that. But that is not what patience means in the analogy of farmer. Being faithful to God even when things aren't going our way, that doesn't mean doing nothing. That doesn't mean that we become indifferent as if what we are waiting for doesn't matter because it does. It also doesn't mean that we become lazy as if none of it depends upon us. This makes perfect sense with the farmer illustration. Farmers can't control weather. They can't control the rain. They can't control the seed. But that doesn't mean that they just sit around and do nothing. What they have to do is they have to break the ground they lay off rows, they place seed in the furrow at the right depth, they cultivate the crops. When the ground becomes packed or weeds become an issue, and they even watch for insects and animals that might damage the plants, isn't it? So it's not that, it's not that the farm, they don't do anything. While they cannot control the weather, the seed, but they have to do what they can within their capacity to do, those things that they need to do. They are not ultimately the one that makes the plant grow, but still they have to do what they need to do. So what are we supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to be doing while waiting and patiently 
trusting the Lord on those things that we have no control over. In verse 8, it tells us, be patient and stand firm. The word stand firm, uh, other versions say, establish your hearts. Establish your heart. Be patient and establish your heart because the Lord's coming is near. Fortify your hearts, ground your hearts, set your hearts on one thing, holy and completely. Establish means to make stable, place firmly, set fast, fix it, strengthen it, make firm, to render constant, confirm in one's mind. And interestingly, the same word is being used in the gospel in Luke. When Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, asked the disciples, come, is it? I don't know, I don't think I have it. In chapter 9, verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He fixed his eyes on going to Jerusalem. Even though his disciples, he already told disciples that he is going to die. Even though he knew that he was going to be arrested, he knew that he will be flogged, beaten, crucified. He knew all this. And yet he established his direction. It's the same word. Stand firm. Establish in your heart. He was resolved, determined. And James is saying, we too are to set our hearts and minds and faces towards one thing, and that is Jesus Christ, while we wait and have patience. So we are not to do nothing. We are to wait upon the Lord, and it is a very active type of waiting. It's not a very passive, indifferent, resigned to the situation type. You have to do everything you can within your means, within your power, on those things that you can do, and you wait upon the Lord for other things to happen. So the farmer analogy gives us two things. Patient means trusting God with the things you cannot control or trusting God in the people, the people that you have no control over. Leave it to Him. Patient does not mean you do nothing. You trust the Lord. You focus on Him. You do not let other voices distract you and be discouraged and be resentful and all that. You focus on the Lord. Second picture that James gives to us is prophets the prophets so not just the first picture of the farmer and uh, same thing I'll give you one positive point and one negative one he says here brothers and sisters as an example now he's giving his example of patience in the face of suffering take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord consider the prophets he say consider the prophets James is using prophets now, moving from the, the analogy of farmer. Farmer is just a hypothetical kind of everyday kind of figure, but now he's using prophets as a real example, actual example. Now he says, I'm going to show you example patience in the face of suffering. He says, Take the prophets as an example as an example. Think through some of the prophets in the Old Testament. It tells us one thing, to tell us what patience is. Patience means being obedient even in the face of persecution. There is a life of prophets because they prophesy, they declare good news, they proclaim the truth. And sometimes truth is very hurtful. Not many people like truth. That's why they say truth is now stranger than fiction. And if you give truth to people who have no desire for truth, you're only giving them more ammunition to shoot back at you. And here, prophets does that. Think of the prophet. So patient means being obedient even in the face of persecution. Do what you have to do. Be obedient. Jeremiah ended up in a pit in prison. Daniel was put in the den of lions. Elijah was forced to flee from Queen Jezebel and went into a lapse of depression, hiding in the cave, refused to get up, just lying there. And God has to send angels to feed him, to encourage him, to refresh him, so as to carry on his journey. And interestingly, did you know that his depression came from a great victory? 
if you know the story of uh, Elijah, he was kind of taunting the, the prophets, you know, come on, pour cold water on that, you know. He was laughing and then called upon the Lord to strike fire. So his depression came right after a great victory. Isn't it amazing? So your victory today may not necessarily be your victory tomorrow. It's a daily process. Christian life is lived daily. You can't do it once and for all kind of things. It's a daily journey because daily we face new challenges, new struggles, and new temptations that you don't experience yesterday because you are maybe in different positions. You may be in a different environment. And so it's a daily thing. And that happened to uh, Prophet Elijah. And even even. Stephen in the New Testament towards the end in chapter 7 he said was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one and Jesus himself also said in the Beatitudes rejoice and be glad for your reward is in great in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you so all these prophets gives us an example James is using the, the example of prophets to say well you need to be obedient even in the pay, face of persecution that is the meaning of patience be patient obedient even in the face of persecution Hebrews chapter 11 look at the story of the hall of faith that he talks about all these figures I don't have the the, the verses here but it's in Hebrews 11 32 to 40 let me just read to you the whole list of prophets that the author of Hebrews talks about he says what more shall I say I do not have time to tell you about Gideon Barak Samson and Jephthah about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions he quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning they were sawed in two. Can you imagine they were sawed in two? They say that uh, uh, Jeremiah was one of them. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. What an unbelievable examples of obedience, faithfulness, steadfastness in the face of great opposition. Extreme. This is patience and endurance to the extreme. In the face of persecution, they are patient. They were obeying, obeying, obeying. And verse 39 and 40 conclude this section by saying, these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Imagine, they were commended for their faith, yet they did not see. They, they patient, they persevered, they did not get to see the coming of the Christ. They did not get to see what happened. And then they already passed on. And then verse 40 says, Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So what is the author of Hebrews getting at? He said most of these prophets only saw a glimpse of what God had promised to His people through them, especially the new covenant realities of Jesus Christ. Talk about being obedient and faithful no matter the result and being patient, trusting God even in not experiencing His promises in their lifetime. Can you imagine that? Would you stay on track, trusting God, be patient and keep on being obedient to God and yet not rewarded here on earth. And that is what the example of prophets is like. They were patient, they persevere, they endure, they obey, obey even in the face of persecution. The negative point of patience that I want to give to you from the story of prophet, from the illustration of prophet is that patience does not mean being sheepish. Sheepish means lacking confidence. 
So what I mean by this is that being patient and waiting on the Lord does not mean that we never speak up. You know, we just endure, we just patiently, we don't speak. It doesn't mean that. You read the prophets, they didn't exactly hold back. Being patient and enduring suffering does not mean we didn't speak up. It doesn't mean that we aren't strong in what we do or say or believe. What it means is that we speak truth no matter what may happen. We are patient, not desire God's timing as opposed to our own. And therefore, they continue to speak up, continue to be faithful, continue to declare the truth. We should not obey God only in the context of convenience or safe. I think increasingly in the Western society, we are increasingly facing hostile persecution. So we should not just obey God only in the context of convenience or safe. We should obey regardless of circumstances. I will be an obedient citizen. I have been, I've always been, I will be an obedient citizen. So, so have you, so are you. Keeping all the laws stipulated by the society. Occasionally we get speeding fine. Not intentional sometimes. So we are obedient citizens, but in event where it is, if the law of the society is in conflict with Christian faith, for me as a Christian, I will always obey God rather than man. If the law of the society is against, is in conflict with your faith, for Christians, we must err on the sight of God and not your life. The Bible has given us many examples on that. Daniel. Look at the story of Daniel. He did not bow. He did not bend. Because he did not bow, he did not bend, he was not burned. He did not bow. That is devotion. He did not bend. That's determination. And he did not burn. That's deliverance. Faulty faith always say, I'll trust God if He delivers me. Did you see that in Daniel? No. No. You study the book of Daniel, you realize that when he prayed, the beautiful words in chapter 6 is that he went up. When he heard of this crisis, anybody who don't bow to that will be thrown and, or will be persecuted and all that. If you look at Daniel chapter 6, Daniel went up and prayed just as he had done before. He was not even in a crisis prayer, just as he had done before. That's his daily routine. It's not like a crisis, oh, persecution come, therefore you pray extra in the sense, just as he had done before. Faulty faith always say, I'll trust God if he delivers me. But genuine and real faith always say, even if I die, I'll trust God. Even if I die, I will trust God. And here, uh, James is using the prophet as an example again to tell us that well patient means being obedient even in the face of persecution but patient does not mean to say that you remain sheepish you do, you're not confident of what your belief is you become waver in the sense you don't do that how many of us know the old hymn onward Christian soldiers most of the young ones probably don't uh, but older Christian probably will you know, we don't sing the song anymore, maybe because of the connotation of crusade and all that. You know, it's about marching in and all that. Uh, onward, Christian soldier. But there's an anonymous writer who play on the words and change the words a little bit and call it backward Christian soldiers, not onward. And this is the, these are the words of backward Christian soldiers. Backward Christian soldiers fleeing from the fight with the cross of Jesus nearly out of sight. Christ, our rightful master, stand against the foe, onward into battle. We seem afraid to go. And then there are a few other verses. And then the chorus, the backward Christian soldiers fleeing from the fight with the cross of Jesus nearly out of sight. And that is what I think many, many Christians, they turn away their faith because they encounter a little bit of struggle, a little bit of pain, a little bit of prayer unanswered, and then they just 
turn away from their failure cancer not heal the boyfriend left her or something like that we just turn away from our faith that is not patience that is not patient endurance patient endurance means you obey in the midst of persecution it does not mean that you are sheepish third picture that James gives to us other than farmer prophets is the Job the character of Job is well known in the book of Bible 42 chapters quite tedious to plow through it because it's all about conversation between Job and the four friends Job said I done nothing wrong to deserve this and then the four friends say yes yes you did wrong you did this this is so to and fro to and fro to and fro covers many many chapters until Job said well I don't want to talk to you anymore I want to talk to God God, I want to talk to you. These four friends is no help to me. I've done nothing wrong. Why do I deserve this? I want to talk to you. Be careful what you ask from God. You might get it. Oscar Wilde used to say that there are the two tragedies in life. One is that you get what you want and one is you don't get what you want. Both can be a tragedy. By getting what you want can also be a tragedy if you do not know how to handle it. He might destroy you. So here Job say, Well, I want to talk to God. I don't talk to these four guys with a joke. And God said, Alright, I'll come and see you. Come and talk to you. And so if you read chapter 38, 39, 40, 41, go home and read these four chapters. God spoke to Job. And God asked Job 66 questions. God did not answer Job any of his question at all. He said, why do I suffer? God didn't answer the question that he asked. God just asked Job 66 questions or more, round about there. The various, depending on where you close off the questions. 66 questions. And he asked Job, Job, where were you when I created the world? Job, where were you when I placed the sun there? Job, where were you when I placed the moon? Job, where were you when I created snow? Where were you when I made rain? When I made rainbow? When I created these animals and that animals? Job, tell me, where were you? So God pounded him with 66 questions. Boom, 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 boom. And you read Job's response in chapter 42. He was with his mouth wide open. He repented of his sins. And when he repented, God restored everything back to him again. So Job, he said, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. And you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So Job here, from this, James is telling us that patience means enduring through suffering. Trusting in God's purpose. Trusting in God's purpose even though you can't see it. It's quite similar to the prophets but a bit different. James attributes Job's steadfastness, his incredible trust and worship of God despite so many terrible things happening to him. He attributes that to Job's understanding of Job's of God's purpose and character. Someone said that if you can't, listen to this quote, if you can't trace God's hand in your life, you trust God's heart. If you can't trace God's hand, you can't see God is moving or near you or in your life, if you can't trace God's hand, you must trust God's heart. That God is merciful, God is compassionate God is love we sing God is good good father it's non-negotiable there are some things in life is non-negotiable there's some very fundamental beliefs of God is non-negotiable in my life doesn't matter what I think doesn't matter what I'm going through is non-negotiable truth in my life that God is a good God God is a loving God God is a gracious God compassionate God those truths are non-negotiable. 
The other truth may be not negotiable. Certain doctrine uh, uh, that is secondary doctrine, it is negotiable. It's okay. We change anyway as we, as we grow different stages of our lives, as we're understanding more, and emotionally we get connected with life more. You change along the way. In ministry too, I, you know, certain things are held very strong. Certain part of your life, you, you, you change a little bit because you, you grow in your life. As a parent too, isn't it? You make the best father after you become a grandparent, they say. Because you've been through it in a sense that you learn of it. And so it's the same. So there's some fundamental truth, doctrine. There's no compromise means no compromise. doesn't mean what society says. doesn't mean what majority people say. If the scripture says so, and then that's it. So if you can't trace God's hand in your life, you must trust God's heart, that God is a good God. God has a plan. God loves you. He will not let you go through pain unnecessarily. He doesn't waste pain for nothing. No one inflict pain on our children for nothing. So patience is not just about what you will get at the end of the wait. Patience is about what you will become as you wait. Job never received an answer to why, but he received something greater. A more intimate relationship with God. He came through it closer to God, but he didn't get an answer why. He wanted to ask God why, but he didn't get it. That leads me to my last bit of it. He said, patience, under the book of Job, uh, the character of Job, patience does not mean not grieving in suffering and loss. We don't have to be like a stoic will, you know, no emotion. We cannot cry with the loss or suffering or in pain. No, Job cried. Job wept. Jesus wept. Jesus struggled even in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was so difficult for him to go to the cross that he has to plead with the Father. Is, it, is there any other way? Is there plan B to save humanity if it is possible to remove this cup from me? But God said no. And he said, well, not as my will but yours. So we go through struggle, we cry, we, we, we grieve, we weep of, of things that is not right. So patience does not mean not grieving in suffering and loss. There's nothing wrong with being sad about suffering. We are not a sadist. No, a sadist is someone who, who enjoys inflict pain and suffering on people. We are not that. We, we don't purposely like to suffer. Like come out, they call it worm theology. You know, some Christians purposely like to suffer. You know, and we are not like that. But the situation, fallen world that we live in, is like that. We just got to accept the reality and believe that God is in charge. God is sovereign and God is weaving everything together in His time. So there's nothing wrong with being sad about suffering, sad about whatever we're waiting for, maybe waiting for a baby, waiting for a partner, or waiting for a better world, or whatever it means. But patience does mean moving forward even in the midst of grief. We don't stop in our growth in Christ or our discipleship because we are waiting for something. In fact, it is in waiting in the midst of suffering that matures us. As we read back in James chapter 1, we draw. So we endure, not because we know it will get better in this life, because it may not, but instead, it will get better instead because we can know that God is very compassionate and merciful. We grow in our understanding and our encounter with this God. We grow more acquainted, more intimate with this God. That your understanding of God is no longer just intellectual, cognitive knowledge. You become experiencing and have relationship emotionally kind of understand and experience it in your life who this God is. Not just only our God is love, God is compassion. You experience it in your life that this is the God that I worship. And sometimes it is through pain, it is through suffering, it is through patiently waiting upon the Lord that we grow into Christ-likeness. Into Christ-likeness. So three pictures. Farmer, prophets, and Job teaches us about what patient is and what patient isn't. But there is a spoiler, as I said. Let me finish with the spoiler. 
there's a constant threat to patient endurance. And that is in verse 9 and verse 12. And this is it. I'm going to skip that. A constant threat to patient endurance is the tongue. Because you grumble when you're struggling, when you're you are going through difficult times, trials, you grumble, you complain, you're angry, and then you become bitter. And then slowly, slowly, it will descend down, 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 down. And then you start to give up your faith. So a constant threat to patient endurance, the spoiler is the tongue. Look at verse 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Paul Tripp, a uh, uh, theologian, says, if you embrace, all right, if you embrace the theology of the sovereignty of God, meaning to say that God is in charge of all things, if you embrace this theology and the belief on the sovereignty of God, then you would have to say that every moment of grumbling is, in fact, grumbling against God. You have never had a neutral grumble in your life. Your grumbling is deeply theological and it evidences a dissatisfaction with the sovereign plan of the Almighty God. So grumbling is in some sense you're fighting against the sovereignty of God. So all our grumbling is never neutral. It's deeply theological. It is a reflection that you are unhappy with God. And therefore you grumble, you complain, you're angry, you're resentful. And so this is always a spoiler. This is a threat to patient endurance. And then in verse 12, James is saying, you don't need to swear. You don't, you don't need to take an oath. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear or take an oath, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Christian, your, your Christian life, you must be so honest and so truthful in your life that your yes is a yes and your no is a no. You don't have to take on higher power to authenticate your position in a sense because you ought to be as a Christian who, who worship God and it ought to be that your words is finer in a sense. But please don't take it in the context of that. You cannot change your mind after you make a decision and all that. It's not to, to say that. It's a context of truthfulness that you don't have to call upon God as your... Uh, take upon something else to, uh, to authenticate the truthfulness, substantiate and uh, authenticate the, the, the truthfulness of what you wanted to say. So the spoiler is always the tongue. The spoiler is always the tongue that destroys this patient endurance that can help us to grow in our lives. James, uh, I think Moya, Moya puts it this way, a, a, a commentator says, James' doctrine of the Christian life is a doctrine of process or growth. And patience is its central requirement. We neither drift into holiness or are we wafted there by some heavenly visitation? We grow to holiness and like every harvest, it is a process. Process, process and patience is the key. Patience, endurance is the key to spiritual growth. No need to rush. Be patient. Walk your life day by day. Trust the Lord. Act it out. Live every day to the full. You will have lesser regrets and you will move down the pathway of spiritual growth. Let me close off this section with this story. I know some of you have uh, a lunch and all that. How come Father's Day no lunch? Mother's Day we have great lunch. You know? How come fathers always no lunch? You know? I wonder why. Maybe next year we should swap it around. Uh, there's this story about uh, uh, this guy reflecting on this story. He says, Sam was my best dog, my best friend ever. A field trial dog who found birds and pointed them with contagious uh, enthusiasm. Sam taught me the joy of becoming part of nature. If his, point, if his point said a bird was hiding in a clump of bushes, it was there. But he was much, so much more than a bird dog, though. 
Often, we would share together lazy lunches in an abundant apple orchard and the snooze that followed. Late one afternoon, Sam and I became separated. Neither of us was familiar with the area. I called and whistled, no sign of Sam. I had to get back to town for an important appointment. But how could I leave my favorite dog, Sam? If he finally came back and I wasn't there, would I lose him for good? What am I supposed to do? Then I remembered a trick an old dog trainer had passed on to me. I unbuttoned my jacket, removed my shirt, and I laid it on the ground under the branches of a small bush. I worried all night. But when I returned the next morning, there was Sam curled up with his nose under the sleeve of my shirt. He looked up and he wagged his tail, almost telling me, where have you been? And his eyes seemed to be asking me, I've been waiting for you all night. But I knew you would come back. But I knew you would come back. And I think this story in some sense depicts us in the time when we are struggling, when you are suffering. I hope you will curl yourself up in God's word. Knowing very sure that Jesus, your friend, will find you and he will come back for you. To wait patiently, knowing that Jesus, your friend, will find you and embrace you and eternity with him. Father, we just want to pray that you help us to wait expectantly, uh, wait quietly, at the same time wait confidently. Thank you for the example of the farmer. Thank you for the example of the prophets and Job, telling us what patience means. It means trusting you with those things or people that we have no control over. It means being obedient even in the face of persecution. It means enduring through suffering, trusting in your purpose. In the meantime, we should not lay around and do nothing or become sheepish and wavering in our belief or not even grieving in suffering and loss. We do grieve. Help us to trust in you, knowing that you will return one day. In the meantime, we know of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We shouldn't sing this song only on Easter Sunday. We should remind ourselves that because He lives, we can face tomorrow. God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to love. Heal and forgive. He bled and died to buy my power. Savior lives Because He lives I can face tomorrow Because He lives All fear is gone Because I certain days because he lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives 
life we live don't have the final words you have the final words you are the author of life you are the author of life you are sovereign you are in charge you are good God you are merciful God you are compassionate God you are wonderful God thank you Jesus thank you Lord may we know and experience you not just only in our cognitive mind may we truly in our life experience your goodness you are good God may the Lord walk beside you to comfort you may the Lord walk above you to watch over you may the Lord walk behind you to keep you safe and may the Lord walk before you to show you the way ahead now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs> 